Amen. And thank you, ladies. And um, it's always a blessing to have the youth participate in the church service. And these young people, they have more musical talent than most of us adults. And so if I could encourage the youth to keep on uh, keeping on, they're, they're on the right track. Amen. And so that's a blessing. And I'm so thankful for their willingness to come up and participate in our services. And so let's open our Bibles this evening to the book of uh, 1 Samuel, chapter number 7. And uh, as I'd mentioned uh, the last time I preached, not teaching, um, I'm going to be doing a, really just working through some thoughts about the presence of God. And so I'm going to be dealing with some thoughts here tonight about the presence of God out of Second Samuel, or excuse me, First Samuel. Sorry, First Samuel, chapter seven. And um, and uh, we'll see how far we get through this. this. This will probably break up into about three or four different sermons over the next uh, few times that Pastor um, gives me an opportunity to preach. But this is different than what I'm teaching on in Sunday school. Sunday school is uh, church planting lessons from the Apostle Paul. And uh, that's a whole other topic that we're doing out of Acts chapter 20. And so we'll pick up back on that in uh, Sunday school. But regarding just the regular preaching, um, we'll be dealing about the presence of God. And so um, the thought tonight is going to be um, that of restoring the presence of God. Restoring the presence of God. Now before we jump fully into it, let me just mention that Jesus Christ said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And when you're saved... Christ comes into you. The Holy Spirit of God seals you till the day of redemption, and, and you can never lose that. Amen? And I'm not talking about restoring the presence of God within your life personally, but rather among a church body or times of revival where God comes and visits a group of people collectively and in a congregation and having the presence of God together as God's people. And so that's the topic tonight of restoring the presence of God. And so 1 Samuel chapter number 7 Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And the men of Kirgath-Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirgath-Jearim that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord." And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord of his, for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with the great thunder on that day upon the, upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, 
and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word and what we can learn from it. Lord, we thank you that, as it says, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us, that God, when we were lost and on our way to a devil's hell, Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And we who are saved can say, the Lord helped us. You saved us from our sins. But Lord, we as your people daily need your help. God, as a church body, we need your help. And so, Lord, we come to you asking that you would work among us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As I mentioned, the topic of this today is going to be restoring the presence of God. And we sang two songs tonight upon my request. Um, one of them was a song number 500, which was simply, uh, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. And that's one of my favorite hymns in the, in the hymnal. And uh, the song is written during a time of revival, uh, and it's called uh, Pass Me Not, as mentioned. And the words go, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And then they cry out, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Now let me just say this here, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't pass by a broken sinner who calls upon him. Amen. I'm glad that he will save us. And this song was written again during times of revival. And it's been said that during times of revival, particularly in American history, the first great awakening and the second great awakening, uh, revivals in the, in the 40s and the 50s and, and so on and so forth, that um, whenever God was present in the meetings, um, God would work among people in such a way that they would fall under such conviction that often they didn't even have altar calls. Um, you say, what do you mean? Because people were already on their knees crying out to the Lord in the midst of the preaching. It's just amazing to consider um, how powerful God had been. And this song particularly um, was written, uh, a given of the testimony of a brother who was in a revival meeting and he had seen people falling under conviction in the midst of preaching and they were responding to the gospel and he looked about and, and he he understood the gospel but he wasn't under conviction and so he he cried out pass me not pass me not and and that's what the the root of this song is and praise god um god didn't pass him by amen um christ heard his call and and saved him and that's where we get the words uh, to this uh, wonderful song tonight and i think about times of revival and would to god that we would experience such power uh, that that god would work among our church that um people would come and and hear the gospel and and fall under conviction and, and respond to god even before an altar call is given that God would give his presence and power to his people. Another song that we sang uh, was um, um, there at 507, and I'm just going to turn there real quickly, and, and uh, Adrian played that for us tonight as well, Come Thou Fount, amen. And that's one of my favorite uh, songs there, but particularly that second verse. It says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I come. 
and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. I love this next spot. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. And you read that there, and it's referring to salvation. And uh, the Bible says that when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, and he came to help us when we couldn't help ourselves in providing salvation for a sin-sick world. I'm thankful that Jesus uh, there uh, came to us because we couldn't get to him. And so it says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed. His precious blood. Um, he saved me by His blood. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. And this song also was written in the midst of revival times. And so I love to study revival. And I love to study revival history. But even understand revival in our current day and age. Um, there has been times even in recent years when God has worked um, in the United States of America. Praise God. And I'm seeking that he would do that again. I'm seeking that God would um, manifest himself in this church and that God would manifest himself in this city and that God would manifest himself in this state and, and that God would send revival to America and it would be birthed here in this very place that God would send his revival. And so we see here his, that he would send his presence, that he would be among us. And so... We read this passage of scripture, and it's referring to a time in the history of Israel that they were in transition, and they, um, at one, here in the next few chapters, were actually going to be um, looking for a king, which God wasn't pleased with, but that's what they wanted, and so God gave them a king, but they were living among judges. And uh, they, they would go and they would judge people, and what they would do is they would look at a person's life, they would of God and they would judge them um, and it's biblical amen um, being condemning is different than um, biblical judgment amen um, you know being condemning is, is one thing to put people down and think you're better than others and that sort of thing but it's a whole other thing to say look at this is what God said in his word and I'm just trying to help you follow the Lord this is what the Bible says and this is the judgment of the Lord and so um, he was judging the people he was a judge not only was Samuel a judge but Samuel was a prophet and so Samuel had uh, several roles in the ministry, and I firmly believe as you read the history of Israel, how many times they backslid and come back and backslid and come back. They had never got so desperate as they were now, and if they didn't respond to God the way they did there, I often wondered what would have happened to Israel because they were very far. But let me say this, I don't care how far a person gets from God, God could still reach them. He can still reach them, and there's still hope for people, no matter how far they get from God. I'm reminded of a preacher that um, he came out of a rough life, and uh, he was um, involved in gangs and drugs and all this sort of thing. He was on trial for the murder of an off-duty officer and all these different things before he got saved. And uh, he was out running with some guys and gone to a fight, and they stabbed him, and... Um, he stabbed him right near his kidney and almost killed him. And his buddies were there with him and they took him home, kicked the door open and just threw him in the front of the house and uh, there in the living room and uh, left him there. And he was unconscious and nearly bled out and all these things, just horrible condition. And he didn't know because he was unconscious. But at that very moment, his aunt was in the house who was a Christian and was witnessing to his parents. 
And they began to pray for this preacher that he would get saved. And the, the more they prayed, the worse he got. And the, the husband in the situation said, what good is it praying for him? Don't you see the more we pray, the worse he gets? And he's going to hit rock bottom. And the wife in that situation that was praying for him said he needs to hit the rock so he can look up to God. And sure enough, one day, he did get saved. I say that to say this, I don't care how far a person is from God, God could still get a hold of a person. And so these people were far from God. They didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to look at a few things here and in a few moments about the Ark of the Covenant. But simply put, they, they were backslidden, they had sin, and God wasn't present among his people. Um, yes, he was visiting Samuel, and yes, there were some people that still, still feared God, but overall the nation was in destitution. It was full of sin. And so here we are. They're missing something, and they recognize they're missing the presence of God. You look there in chapter number 7, what we just read in verse 1 and 2, the Bible says that the men of Kirgath Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and, and, and sanctified um, Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. This wasn't where the ark was to be. It was to be uh, there in, in Jerusalem where they had their tabernacle. And so you look at verse 2, and it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirgath Jearim that the time was long for it was 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Understand this tonight, that the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, was a picture of the presence of God among his people. It wasn't necessarily the presence of God, but it represented the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, hold your place there in 1 Samuel and go to the book of Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter number 25. And as you're turning there, again, this is the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, a metal box, a golden box, rather, of chapter 25 and verse number 22. And this is talking about this, this metal box. Actually, let's go to verse 21. It says there, And thou shalt put uh, the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And verse 22, And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee above the mercy seat and between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I, I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So God is dealing with Moses in this particular verse we read. And they're making the tabernacle, they're making the ark of the covenant. And it was in the holy of holies and that's where they would sprinkle the blood. And it was at that place where the Bible said that God would come and meet with his people. And the glory of God would fall upon the tabernacle tabernacle and they would see the, the manifest presence of God and, and the fog would come down and the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. I mean, they, they would meet with God whenever they would offer this offering. And it says that God would commune with them. And so as we study this idea of restoring the presence of God, the first thing we see in this passage of scripture ultimately is this, the memory of revival and God's presence 
See, that's what God has said was going to happen. In the days of Moses, hundreds of years later, after several different judges had ruled in the land, here we have Samuel, and they don't have the Ark of the Covenant, and the people, the Bible says, are lamenting after the Lord, that they miss God's presence, and they remember what the Bible taught in days of old, how God led Moses, and how God led them through the wilderness, and how God gave them victory after victory, and how God led them into the promised land, and, and how God blessed them, and and, and empowered them and, and gave them the land and they, they have this memory of what God had done in the past and they're looking at their situation and they're saying, God, we need you to do it again. God, we, we need you to work among us again. God, we need your presence. As we think about that, do we have memories of when God has worked? Now, if you've been saved here, even in the last 10 years or so, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is still almost what we consider honeymoon and things like that. And, and you're excited about the things of God. And let me say this, don't ever um, stop being excited, amen? Always be excited about the things of God. But, um, you know, I've been saved. I'm not that old, but I've been saved more than half my life. And, and I remember growing up and, and, and seeing the things I did in my home and then getting saved and, and the church that I was in and, and seeing God's presence there. I remember we used to have tent revivals every year at Rio Grande Baptist Church. And, and I was, Brother Abel, did you ever go to any of those revival meetings? I'm not sure if you ever went to them or not. Uh, I, I thought, for some reason, I thought I saw you there before, but uh, um, there's a few people that did come. Pastor McMath had visited on several occasions, and evangelists would come and preach, and we would have church, and, and we didn't come to get out. Amen. We came to meet with God. And I remember as we would have these meetings, and God would work, and we'd have the invitation, and often the invitation would last longer than the preaching. I mean, longer than the preaching. And people were being dealt with at an altar and confessing their sins and calling on Christ. And, and maybe um, people had been saved and they were backslidden and they were getting right with God. And whatever the case may be, uh, we, we came and we didn't come to leave. We came to meet with God. And God would do a work among us in those times. I remember there would be people and they would bring their family to the revival meeting. And their family would come to the altar and they, they would um, come to ask about salvation and the family members would be there in the back in their chairs praying, asking God to save my dad. God, save my mom. God, save my aunt or my uncle or my brother or my sister. Crying out to God. And you could hear them crying in the pews for their family as their family was down at the altar crying and calling on God to save them. And God would change them. I, and I said, I've only, I'm only 34 years old. I'm not that old. But I've been saved half my life. And I remember seeing times of revival whenever God has worked. And I want to ask you, do you remember times when God has worked there and the memory of revival and the memory of God's presence and God's power as He worked among us? And so these people, they're distraught. They know that God met with them in the past and they want God to meet with them now, but they're missing something. They're missing the presence of God. So there's the, the memory of revival, the memory of revival concerning the presence of God. But not only the memory of revival concerning the presence of God, the memory of revival concerning the power of God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3. This evening, this is as Joshua now has taken the leadership um, reigns. Moses has gone on to be with the Lord. And so Joshua, Numbers chapter number 3, they're about to enter into the promised land. Numbers chapter 3, excuse me, rather, Numbers chapter 3, verse number, let me pick it up here. Not Numbers, sorry, Joshua. I, I am off. I wrote it wrong in my Bible. Joshua, chapter number 3. 
I wrote it wrong in my notes here. And so homiletics 101, make sure your outline is correct. Amen. And so Joshua chapter number 3. They're about to enter into the promised land. And remember, they didn't go into the promised land before because of their fear of what was in the land. They never went over Jordan. And what happened? God brought them back to the place where they had messed up. And let me just say this here in your spiritual life. Until you get some things right, you're not going to move forward until you get those tests right in your life. And sometimes God brings us right back to something just to see if we're going to pass the test again. And that's exactly what happened. He took him right back to the River Jordan and said, Remember, you didn't have faith 40 years before. Let's see if you have some faith now. Praise God they had faith. Amen. And so here they are getting ready to go over that River Jordan. And you read in number, Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 17, the Bible says, And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people passed clean over Jordan. You go down to verse number uh, chapter 4 and you look at um, verse number let's see here verse number 10 it says therefore the priest which bear the ark in the midst of the Jordan uh, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua and uh, the people hasted and passed over and so you see here that the priests are there and what they did is they went back to the river Jordan where they had messed up before but now they had faith and they said we're going to do things right and so the priest of the Lord took the Ark of the Covenant and they went into the river and it was at the time whenever the, the river was high and so it, it was flowing hard and it was flowing fast. It wasn't, uh, it was, it was like runoff time, amen. We know what that's all about. It was runoff time for them and they step by faith into this rushing river and they have the Ark of the Covenant and as soon as they put their feet in there, the water stops and there's a heap further up and it stops the water literally and they are on dry ground. Now here's the thing. It's one thing to stop the river. It's another thing to stop it immediately with dry ground. You ever see the water and sometimes it just stops flowing, there's mud and you step in and you go in like knee deep and that sort of thing. That's happened to me a few times and I don't like it. It's hard to get out of that type of thing. On dry ground, they stepped right in and they were there. Now here's the thing, the people of God were behind it. The Ark of the Covenant was before them. They said, we're going to go forward for God, but God needs to be the one that leads us, amen. And so they stepped in carrying that Ark and all of Israel passed by. Not only did all of Israel pass by, but then they went and they found 12 large stones. And then they erected those stones and made a monument and said, this is where God um, delivered us. And, and it was there to, to be a memorial for God's people, how that through his presence, he gave them his power. That's the power of God. To, to stop up that river and make dry ground and allow for God's people to move forward in victory. And as we consider revival and God's power here tonight, let me say this, uh, it's going to take some faith, amen? It's going to take a, taking a step of faith into uncertainty, but God wants to work among us. Not only does He want to work among us, He wants to move us forward into the promised land, a land of victory, amen? A land where we go forward to conquer for the glory of God. Now let me say this, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There were still battles in the promised land, but God was with them and he led them you remember later on we're not going to turn there for sake of time but whenever they walked marched around the walls of Jericho or they marched around and what did they carry along with them it was the ark 
of the covenant of the Lord. And so you see here this ark, it had memories that went along with it, memories of the presence of God, memories of the power of God. And so back in 1 Samuel chapter number 7, as we consider the presence of God, the first thing we see here is just this memory of revival. They knew that something was missing and they were seeking God for it. They needed God. And let me just ask you, do you remember when God has worked in your life, when you first got saved, and when God called you to ministry and you surrendered, and maybe it was in a mission conference and God dealt with you, or a revival meeting and an invitation time, and, and just the Spirit of God moving among us and, and speaking to us and convicting us, and, and we, we, we got down on the altar and we didn't move until God moved, and we would pray and we would seek the Lord, and we hungered and thirsted after righteousness because nothing else would fill us. That's where they were at. That's where they were at. The, the memory. Of revival. As a result of that, we find them mourning for revival. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass, while the ark abode at Kirgath Jearim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so you see here, they're, 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 they're burdened. The lament is where we get the book of, of Lamentations. It's the idea. It's not where we actually, this particular case isn't where we get it from. It happened several hundred years later under the prophet of Jeremiah. But as the context of uh, 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 lamenting, lamentation, grieving, mourning. You know, you ever just, you're so distraught and just that kind of sigh of frustration and anguish that that's where they were at. They, they were, un, uh, Philistines had been occupying their land and, and they needed God and they, they're thinking, didn't God promise us this land? And here we are in bondage and we, we need God to work. And, and let me say this, you as a child of God, if you've been saved today, um, the Bible says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Jesus Christ said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But sadly, we as God's people sometimes, we do things in our lives uh, that, that cause God not to work the way he used to. And we go through life frustrated. And we go through life with anguish because we're not walking with God. We don't have God's power upon us. And, and we know that something's missing. We belong to God, but just things aren't right. And we know we need God to work among us. That that is where they are at. We, we have God in our lives, but God isn't working. God's not doing like he used to. And let me say this, we all go through what we would consider dry spells in our Christian life. And, and if we're comfortable in that condition, uh, we, we need to hit an altar, amen? And, and just as, as, as has been mentioned in, in preachers that preach about prayer, I'm not going to move until God moves. Maybe it's going to take some fasting. Maybe it's going to take um, putting away some things in our life and getting sin out or whatever it is. But God, I need you to speak to me. God, I need your presence. In my life, that, that's where they were at. They lamented after the Lord, that they were burdened. God, we need you to work. 
But sadly, sometimes we get burdened. You know, the Philistines always were a picture of the flesh and the Christian life. And, and no matter um, how much they serve God, that flesh is right there just constantly causing problems. And so it is with us in our life. And we serve God. We want to walk with God. But our flesh is constantly there just bothering us and, and putting us under bondage. And, and we just have these sins in our life that we need to get out of our life. And so we see them. They're just burdened over um, the circumstance knowing they need God. So here they are, mourning for revival. Understand this, it was a mourning that was twofold. They're mourning over the separation between them and God. It says there that they lamented after the Lord. It wasn't just that they lamented, it was after the Lord. They recognized God's not among us. He's not working the way he used to. We, we need God. And I'm not saying that God isn't working in Valley Bible Baptist Church but I will say this much, we need more of God. We, we truly do. Do we hunger for the Lord? Or are we lamenting, God, please visit our church. God, please visit this valley. We need more of you, Lord. We need you. They were also, I believe, lamenting and mourning because of sin. Go back to chapter number 3. Hold your place in 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 3. And we're going to look here. This is the 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11. This is when Samuel was a child and God was speaking to him even as a, as a youth. And let me say this. It doesn't matter how old you are, God could use you. Amen. If you're willing to let God use you. And so God's using this young child here. And it says... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will make also, oh, excuse me, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge the house, his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering. Eli worked in the house of God. He was a priest of the Lord. He knows what it means to sacrifice and his children were out of control and he didn't restrain them. He just let them do whatever they wanted. He didn't hold them back from their sin and they were committing vile sins, the Bible says. Vile sins. And he says, I cannot let sin go unpunished. And so an offering isn't going to cut it. They are going to pay for their sin. And what ended up happening is, in a few chapters later, the Philistines come in. And when they come in, they, they, they wage war with them. With the children of Israel, they say, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. They're trusting in that and not God. And there was sin in their life. And what happened? They, they, were, they were smitten, the Bible says. And, and they died. And Eli heard of it, and, and he fell back, and he fell back and fell off and, and broke his neck. And, and they told word to one of the daughters of Eli's sons that your husband's dead, and, and your father-in-law's dead. And not only that, but they, they took the Ark of the Covenant, and, and she went into labor because of that. She was expecting, and they gave the baby a name called Ichabod, um, the glory of the Lord is departed. I mean, that, that's why it left all of that because of the sin of these people. These were supposed to be the holy people 
of God, Eli and his sons, but they were in sin, involved in gross sin. And as a result of that, God said, look, there's not going to be an animal's blood that's going to cover their sin. I'm going to have to send some judgment to my people. I'm going to have to spank them, as Pastor says about the chastening of the Lord. And so they are mourning and they are lamenting because they have been separated from God, but the reason they have been separated from the power of God is because of the sin that was among God's people. And so I just want to ask us this evening... Um, Do we have sin in our life that is keeping God from working among us? Remember whenever the children of Israel went into the promised land and they went to Ai, and the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Achan who had uh, stolen clothes from the the, the previous city. And he said they touched, they they, they had stolen the the accursed thing, is what the Bible says. And all it was was Babylonian garments. Is all it was. It was clothes, from the world. Let me just say here, um, God doesn't want his people wearing the clothes of the world. Amen. And so he wants us to be modest. And so that's just uh, some food for thought there. And because of that, they went into Ai and they lost the battle. They lost the battle. God judged all of the land because of the sin of one family. And could it be that God is, isn't giving his power because of the sin of one person? We're holding back God's power. Do we have something we need to bring to the altar and give it to the Lord. Bitterness, um, hatred, anger, or whatever the case may be. They're going to go on and on um, with all these different things here. But the bottom line is this. Is there something in our life that's keeping back God from working among us? And so that's why they are mourning. They, they don't have the presence of God. They don't have the power of God. They've been separated from God because of the sin that was in their life. And so you see them there. Um, God is judging His people. And so we see here the, the memory of revival, um, the memory of the presence of God and the power of God. We see here mourning for revival, mourning over the separation of God among them and mourning that was caused by sin. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And I know we're not going to get through all of this here tonight. And so I'm only on point three of seven. And uh, some of these points have subpoints, amen? So we're only going to get so far tonight, okay? And so I'll have to pick this up another time. So the memory of revival, the mourning for revival, but then we see thirdly, the message of revival. Verses 3 and 4. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. The message of revival uh, is simply three things here tonight and we'll wrap up with this here. Um, A message to return. Look again at verse 3. He says, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. It's interesting that he says that return with all your hearts because later on in the Bible, there's a king by the name of Josiah who's eight years old. And he causes them to take down the high places and takes down the altars and and the idols and and so forth. And reformation takes place in the land. But it's during that time that Jeremiah begins to preach to them. And Jeremiah is one of the hardest preachers in the Bible. When you read his messages, I mean, he is a hard 
preacher. We, we can't handle the preaching of the prophets of the Bible. I really think we'd get offended in our sugar-coated society. We'd have to go find a safe space and all these different things. And, and that we, we couldn't handle the preaching of a true prophet of the Lord from back in the Bible days. But Jeremiah preached during the midst of what would have been considered a revival under Josiah. But in chapter 3 of Jeremiah, we're not going to turn there, but he says this, that turn and seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts, is what he says. And he says, you have turned unto me feignedly, um, half-heartedly, is what he said. You're, you've given some lip service. You may have even given some, some hand service, but in your heart, you still have sin. And on the outside, you're saying, Lord, Lord, but on the inside, you have sin. See, God knows what's in our hearts. God knows the heart of hearts. And so the, the man of God here is preaching, and he tells them to return with all your hearts, all that there is to you, turn back to God. So it's a message to return. It's a message to repent there. Because it's one thing to say, I, I, I believe the Lord, but it's another thing to say, I don't believe in these gods anymore. They had to put the gods away. See, it's all or nothing when it comes to God. Amen. God said in the Ten Commandments, um, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, jealousy in the Bible isn't bad. It's envy. That's bad. Envy is covetousness. Envy is saying, I want what you have. Jealousy is saying, don't take what I have. There's a big difference there. God is jealous, and he's holy, and he doesn't sin. Amen? And so God is looking down at his people that he redeemed out of Egypt, that he saved through the blood of an innocent lamb, and he's saying, why are you going after these other gods? I'm the one that loved you. I'm the one that spared you. I'm the one that delivered you. Why are you calling on these gods? Come back to me. Come back to me. Sadly, we put so many other things before God. And in Acts chapter number 17, whenever Paul saw the city wholly given to idolatry there in Athens, he, he said that it stirred him in his spirit, and he says, I beheld your devotions. Anything that we're devoted to above God is an idol. Simply put, sports, money, a job, family, our children, a spouse, whatever. If it comes before God... It is an idol. In this particular instance, they're literally bowing down, worshiping idols. But we build idols in our hearts all the time. And we need to tear down the idols and come back to the Lord. And so you see him there. It's a message to return, a message uh, to repent. And then you see um, further down, as you can look at this, it says in verse number 3, um, it says, You turn for the strange gods and astronauts uh, from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. It is a message of, of reverence here. We need to turn back to the Lord, a holy God, a righteous God. Let me say this. We don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on His terms. His terms. And He says, you need to come back to the Lord. See, a lot of people don't like that kind of preaching because they want to hold the world in their hand. They want to hold sin in their hand. And they want God in their hand. And Jesus Christ said, ye cannot have two masters. That's bottom line what Jesus Christ said. You'll either love one and hate the other. You'll despise one and cleave to the other. He said, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Um, Jesus Christ said that we're to take up our cross and follow him. We're to deny ourselves, take, take up our cross and follow him. It's, there's a reverence there that God is holy and I have forsaken all unto the Lord. I am dedicated, consecrated unto the Lord. I've put away the gods. I've come out of the world and I want to be one of God's 
holy people. He told us to be holy. Be holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing is what the Bible says there. And so we see here that it's a return and there's a, a reverence that's there as they seek the Lord. It's God alone, no other gods, nothing of the world, God alone. That was the message of revival. And that's the message America needs to hear tonight. That's the message um, churches across this country needs to hear. That's the message this world needs to hear among God's people. And so I just want to challenge us this evening that we would seek the Lord and that we would seek the presence of the Lord and that we would be serious about seeking God. We didn't get through all the points, so I'm just going to read to them real quickly just so you know here. The memory of revival, mourning for revival, the message of revival, Next time God gives me an opportunity to preach, we'll deal with the messenger of revival, the marks of revival, movements against revival, and lastly, the monument of revival. But I just want to look real quick at verse number 12. And this is where the monument is. It's because I love how the word reads it so clearly here. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. We need the help of God tonight. I want it to be said one of these days as God works among us, not that we ever look back at the glory days and don't have more to look forward to because even Paul in his dying days said, I press toward the mark, we should always be moving forward. But would to God one of these days we look and we know that God has done something and whether or not we get a literal stone but we put it at an altar and we say, God met with us. God helped us. There's people that need help from the Lord. They truly do. And that's why we're here today. We need God's help. There's families that need help from the Lord. There's homes that are being destroyed by the devil. There's lives that are being ruined by liquor and alcohol and drugs and, and different, all these different things, pot and heroin and meth and all the junk that's out there. And God tells us to be sober. And his bottom line, he doesn't say what to be sober from or not to. He just says be sober because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may, de whom he may devour. And there's people all across this valley that are not sober and they've been given over to the, to the devil. And he's devoured their lives and they need help from God they need help from God and they get saved and God does the work and they can look back at their lives and whether or not they get a literal stone they can say you know what the Lord helped me I want to help some people don't you I need help in my life don't you we need the help of the Lord and so would to God that we would seek his presence, and that he would restore his power among us in a mighty way. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you that you are there to help. God, that you want to help. But God, we need to seek you with our whole heart. Lord, with all of our heart, not part of our heart. Your word says, and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God, your first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. God, help us, I pray, to return 
unto you, to seek after you, to, to cry out, God, give us your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.